the title of today's message in your outline. It is Care Groups, Our Ministry of Discipleship. We're not going to be focused on one passage, but it's going to be on selected text. So to some degree, this is going to be a, a topical message, not uh, a message that we're uh, traditionally used to listening to. But we're going to look at these scriptures and consider how discipleship at our church can continue to exalt Christ and his word as we follow him and lead others to follow him. If you're a member at Cornerstone, then you know that it is certainly a pillar of our church progressing in evangelism and discipleship. And when you signed your membership covenant, and um, we keep those, just so you know, just the written in blood. You remember the, the painful prick on your finger when we had you write in I'm kidding for all those who are guests today. Um, we used a pen. But uh, it, it's a membership covenant because we want to let you know um, basically our commitment to you as a church family and as elders of the church. And we, we also um, understand that when you become a membership or become a member, that through the membership process, you're making a commitment to us. And we want to make sure that it's clearly understood. And so this includes being discipled and making disciples. And we've learned in the past that a follower and learner of Christ is a disciple, but a disciple maker is a leader and teacher for Christ. And the goal is not just to be disciples. The goal is to be disciple makers, leaders and teachers for Christ. And as we follow Christ and learn from him, our lives are being transformed through the power of the gospel so that we can hoard all of our spiritual knowledge and keep it to ourselves. Of course not. That's not the case. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. We don't want to lose sight of that. As we learn and grow, uh, Christ wants his disciples to steward their progress and to invest that stewardship, to invest that spiritual knowledge as we learn about him. And as we grow in our walks, we want to invest that in the lives of other people. And this is the calling for every single Christian on the planet. And this is why we had our care group and, and small group leaders summit. So that as leaders, we could all be challenged to excel still more in what the Lord has called us to do as leaders and disciple makers. And this is a calling for the entire church, every single one of us. And it's one that the elders felt would be beneficial for me to share, not only at the opening session of our summit, but during this session to our entire church family and how we can all make more progress in our discipleship relationships. Well, let's begin by praying to that end and then We'll uh, cover some, some ground in, in, in this message. Father, we bow our heads right now, rejoicing that uh, you have blessed our weekend. We're so thankful for the work that you have done in our hearts through the gospel. And you called us to follow you. You called us to follow your son and to pursue him. And we thank you, and our church has been so blessed as we've studied through the Gospel of Mark and we, as we have his life under the microscope 
as we get to zoom in and, and look into who he was as a, as a servant and a sacrificial savior of your people, there are principles that we can look at and your word offers guidance and instruction as to how we can become more like him. And so we pray to that end. We pray that you would continue to sanctify us and allow us to be set apart as the church, the, the assembly of the called out ones, that we would truly be difference makers in the world in which we live, filled with darkness, a swamp of sin. Lord, we, we need your grace and you prov- provide the preserving work of your Holy Spirit so that we can be led by your Spirit and, and walk with you and grow in our understanding of Christ. And it isn't so that we can hoard that knowledge. It's so that we can invest it into the lives of others. And so we want to be faithful to do that. And we know that you have used care groups as an opportunity to do that very thing in our ministry. We look forward to seeing how you bless this message. I pray, Lord, for teachable hearts, for humility, and that we would, yeah, just truly cultivate an attitude of humility as we consider areas where we need to grow and areas where we need to be challenged. So we commit this time to you, asking that you would bless it in every single way. In Christ's name we pray. Well, as I shared with our leaders on Friday, I typically don't use PowerPoint when I teach. So this will be an interesting experience for me as I have this clicker in my hand and we have PowerPoint slide there. You can see the title of our message up there, and um, yeah, apparently with technology, this allows you to advance it, whoop, uh, just like that, and this is my first time using this toy, and um, we'll see how it goes, but there is an extensive outline, you also have it in your notes, and so there's a lot of ground to cover, and the, the PowerPoint is probably more for me than it is for you, just to guide me and help me to stay on track and to be efficient. And on Friday evening, we began our time with a simple question. We said, why care groups? Why do we have care groups at the church? And I said that if we took a poll amongst our church family, and if I were to just stop and we were to pass the mic around, I'm sure that we would hear a variety of different answers. Some would probably start, well, well, hey, they're called care groups, so aren't they all about caring for one another? Okay? Okay. Some might say it's for the purpose of Bible study or spiritual growth. Others might say it's for the sake of practicing the one another's. Perhaps others might say for the sake of accountability or for fellowship. All of these are good answers, and our care groups include these elements. But I believe that there's one answer that stands above all those, and it is discipleship discipleship after the brief introduction to this message i think you can see the importance of having discipleship as our primary focus after all discipleship is god's plan to make us more and more like christ and care groups are a good measuring stick of our progress and so you can see that that's the first point and um, that's in your outline From the moment of salvation on, God begins to do a work 
after he's transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, God does a work within us that causes us to become more and more like Christ. And here is the slide. Oh, thank you for that. I I didn't advance it just so Nate and I are on the same page because he said the battery might be low on this thing. So just to give him the nod if something happens. But uh, I showed this picture uh, on Friday. And I, I believe that it does allow us to see the bigger picture of discipleship. And this picture is from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And it helps us to see the progression that we make in what's called our progressive sanctification. Now, I needed to qualify on Friday night, as I do today. Care groups is not in his picture in his systematic theology. I actually added that right there. But um, this is a help. I believe it's a help. It allows us to see how care groups can be used as one of the means of discipleship to help us become more like Christ. And there are other uh, forms of discipleship. We get that. There is one-on-one discipleship. It doesn't have to take place in a group context. There are conferences. And even an example of discipleship that took place at a macro level, of the summit that we had just even this weekend, encouraging um, each other just with different speakers is also a form of discipleship. But I want you to just take notice of this picture. And we did something that was unique on Friday. We went through and we identified just... Uh, Uh, theology just in the progression when we talked about slaves to sin and the depravity of man and a biblical anthropology growing in holiness of course is a reference to our sanctification and then at conversion there's a number of doctrines of soteriology and I'm not gonna uh, repeat that but we were I think encouraged as we we did that exercise because God has allowed us to see the 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 theology in his plan and that there is indeed a a connection between good theology and good discipleship. But first, I want you to notice that the the picture shows us that we were slaves to sin. And this reflects the point in our lives when we were unsaved and committed to lives of, of chasing and pursuing sin. And then there was a point where someone shared the gospel, or we were reading through uh, the scriptures and God revealed the, the, and challenged our hearts with the gospel. And it allowed us to see that we were sinners and that we were facing the judgment of a holy and just God. And that by, by our nature, we, we deserve judgment. That we deserve His holy wrath. That we deserve to be separated from Him because He is perfectly holy, and we are sinful. But we also heard from whoever shared the gospel that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came in the flesh to live the life that we could never live in perfect obedience, and that he died on the cross and paid the perfect penalty for our sin. And Not only did he die on the cross, but he defeated death when he rose from the grave through the power of the resurrection. And he has overcome death. 
And that if we will repent of our unbelief, if we'll turn from our unbelief and turn from our life of sin and trust completely in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The scriptures affirm it. They've been written. First John emphasizes it, 5.13. They've been written so that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know that you have God's love. When we trust completely in Jesus Christ alone, that did something. Not only did it save us, but it started the process of our discipleship. We became a disciple at that point. Our discipleship journey began at conversion, and it continues until this day as a believer. And if you're not born again, you cannot be a disciple. You cannot be a follower of Christ. Your heart must be changed. You must have a radical encounter with the God of Scripture to recognize that it is an all-in moment. That you cannot live for yourself and pursue the things of this world and occasionally make Jesus part of your life. doesn't work. I've said it before. He's not to be part of our life. He is the point of our life. He's the driving and supreme focus of all of our attention to make his name great and to make his name known, and to exalt him in every way. You must be all in for Christ and commit all your allegiance to him as a disciple. Is your heart born again? Do you see evidence of God at work in your life? Is he cultivating within you a love for him and a hatred for sin? Is he cultivating within you a pursuit of righteousness? If he has, then you will be growing in your pursuit of Christ. And this is where care groups come into play. Of course, as I mentioned before, there are other ways to be discipled. There are some... Uh, raise your hand. If, I would just be curious if, if, if you've ever been... Um, ladies, you've been part of a BSF Bible study, right? There's, some, there's a couple people... Um, some people have independent Bible studies that aren't even connected with their church. It's another form of discipleship for them uh, to, to meet, okay? So I just want to make sure that um, if you're a guest here with us today, that we're not saying that care groups are the only way to make disciples, especially a disciple, especially with care groups being listed up there. But this is what we also believe as it relates to um, our philosophy of ministry and what has for us to become more and more like Christ uh, and how we can progress, our, our ministry is care groups. And so discipleship is the heart of God's plan. And again, the goal is for us to become more and more like Christ until we're glorified. And it involves walking in love and obedience. If you want to become great, like the Lord, great in your walk and in your pursuit of the Lord, and like Him, then it serves us well to look at the great commandments that we see in Scripture. And these include the two additional goals that are, that are in your outline. To fulfill the great commandments and to fulfill the great commission. 
And these commands are God's plan and design to help us to become more like Christ, and they're intimately connected. And God's will involves us fulfilling the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. And so, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. He didn't say make disciples, did he? He said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that is, the, 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 those are the great commandments. Right? It's a singular commandment in that we're called to love. It's two commandments in, in that the sense that it's direct objects, and the direct objects are different. One's to love God, one's to love others. And our love for God and our love for others is what is to fuel discipleship. That is the MO. That is the motive behind why we would do what God would have us do. It is in a spirit of love. That is our call as disciples to fulfill the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. And I wanted to provide a picture for you to see this, and perhaps it's one that you've seen before. It's the picture of footprints. Has anyone, and I asked the leaders, and I'm trying to do this without laughing, um, has anyone read the poem Footprints? Okay, you have. Well, this is not a reflection of that poem, okay? This is not, I, I hate to disappoint you, this is not some rendition or cheesy spin-off on the poem. That somehow when you're not walking with the Lord, um, that there's just this singular footprint of the Lord, and the Lord's carrying you, and he's hopping um, on one foot, carrying you through. That, 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 I'm not going to take time, but there's actually, it, there's poor theology um, in that poem, for a number of reasons, as it relates to the role of the Holy Sp- indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, who doesn't necessarily have footprints. And um, if Jesus were walking with you, there should be two sets of footprints going at the same time. But I understand the intent, and I realized, as I shared with everybody on Friday night, that I just discounted half the merchandise at Hobby Lobby. Okay, so, sorry, if you have footprints on your mantle at home, the poem, and you're going to run home shamefully now and throw it away. No. Um, uh, d- don't do that. Well, maybe do that. Um, <laughs> these are the real footprints of discipleship. And I want you to see that the first footprint on the left reflects our walk with the Lord. We, we, we're, we must never lose sight of the fact that he is the one discipling us. Discipleship starts and ends with him. If you take Christ out of discipleship, you no longer have discipleship. It is all about him. And we've already defined it, really. Theologically, it is our pursuit of Christ-likeness. It's about our personal walks and our relationship with him. And it continually growing stronger. And we must be discipled by and devoted to Jesus Christ before we can disciple and be devoted to others. It's how it works. One Puritan author wrote, quote, Love 
to Jesus is maintained and continued in its warmth and fervor by frequent meditation on his adorable person, his dying love, and his infinite excellence and preciousness. If we lose sight of him as the spring of all our happiness and of his ineffable glories, the fervency of our love for him will be abated. End quote. It will. It will be minimized. Are you keeping the Lord Jesus Christ in your line of sight? Are you spending time with Christ? And are you drawing near to him in the devotion of your heart? If I can use a question straight from that, that, that quote, is he the spring of your happiness? Is he the spring of your joy? This involves our communion. It's reflected in our, our love and our intimacy with him. It's truly our communion with God. And it involves a growing relationship and a growing trust as we walk with him and as he leads us through our lives. And there's an old, film, old hymn that uh, uh, reflects this. And, and some of our, our traditional folks may, may recognize these words. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Beautiful expression from the hymn, In the Garden. And we do talk with him in prayer. And we do walk with him in, in our lives. And we don't do that perfectly. We already qualified that. We don't love him perfectly. Nor is it possible to love him in the way that he deserves. But it is possible to love him as we are able. And to be committed to him. And I'll share more about that. There's an intimacy and there's a communion cultivated over time as he personally disciples us. I shared recently, you know, I had to even have my walk recalibrated recently. Uh, just as it related to my heart devotion and just um, the functioning. And it's easy for pastors to do. It's easy for us to be focused on the next sermon at hand. And we, we spend all of our time uh, committed to the study and the preparation, and we lose sight of just reading the word for our own benefit, for our own soul. We lose time praying. We're always praying for the next sermon. We're always praying for the next ministry. And, and so it's a reminder for us that even as pastors and as elders that we can't be swallowed by ministry so much that it makes us lose sight of us spending the most precious time that we can have. And that is with the Lord. It is with him. Well, there is a growing relationship. There's a growing trust. But I want us to get to the other foot. So I would call the one on this side the communion foot. And on the other side, our love and intimacy is fueled by our love and intimacy with Christ with, with other believers. And this is, we could call this the, the community foot. To make progress in discipleship, we must see this correlation. As A.W. Tozer says, only a disciple can make a disciple. And it's true. You could even say it this way. Only a disciple captivated by Christ can make a disciple that will be captivated by Christ. And that's it. It's not just to be a disciple. It's to be a captivated disciple. It's to be consumed with him so that we can teach others to be consumed with him as well. 
And if our walk with Christ is stagnant, or if it's suffering, then our ability to disciple and to minister to others will be compromised. And I shared this with the care group leaders on Friday night, that if you, you want the cliff notes to, to excel in, in care group, well, here it is, right here. Draw near to him. Draw as close to him as you possibly can. Make sure your communion with him is being cultivated so that your community with others can be expanded and developed. And so it's a fair question. Are you, are you drawing near to him? Are you feeding your own soul on your time spent with him? And it may be that you are right now and you are cherishing that time. But it could be that you were like me just even in, in, the, in the recent weeks where I had to recalibrate my walk. I had to get away. And I just had to spend time with him. And the Lord used it in great measure. Discipleship starts with our primary relationship. It's not a program. It's not a production line. It's not just for um, seasoned saints or for the early young believers or for people who like structure. It is a pursuit of a personal relationship with Christ and our pursuit of him and our love for him is what fuels our love and obedience to him and this is what enables our discipleship of others. Now it should be said, we're works in progress, and, and we understand that. This is part of discipleship. Even if we go back to that, um, oh wow, that takes an effort to get back there, but we did it. Um, you know, the, 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 this, you see this uh, progress in Christ-likeness. It's, it's a journey, and you see the ups, and you see the downs in, in the stagger. We see that, okay? There's a, there, there's a process But this is going to impact how we, we, we serve in our care groups. So I have a question for you, and it's a set-up question, so a loaded question. So what are some ways that you can determine your progress? Somebody were to ask you that question. How, how do I know if I'm progressing? How do I know if I'm, I'm growing? Where would you begin? How can you tell if you are making progress as a disciple? Well, this is going to lead to that next subpoint under our, our opening uh, subpoint: um, discipleship growth. And it gives us some ideas on where to start. And these can serve as measuring sticks for our spiritual growth. And like a true measuring stick, sometimes they reveal where we fall short. Right? You go up and get measured at the doctor's office, and you're like, you know, I wish I was just a little bit taller sometimes. And sometimes we step on the scale or we step and we're like, wow, praise God, we've really grown. We've really grown. It allows us to see it from, from both angles. And the first measuring stick is a transformed commitment. Actually, it's commitments, and I'll explain why. This is the call to discipleship. From day one of being called to follow Christ, it meant a commitment. And we surrendered and we committed our lives to his lordship and to his authority. 
And this is not a one-time commitment, but this is a daily commitment, as Jesus expressed in Luke 9, 23 and 24. And if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. A true disciple denies and dies to the old self. Combination, those are two good terms to to think about. There will be a a denial and there will be a death to the old person. In fact, we'll, we'll actually even learn to hate who we were before Christ. That may sound radical for some of you who are young in the Lord or for, for some of you who may not be born again yet, that you will actually learn to hate who you are or who you were before Christ. And then you'll even hate who you are now sometimes when you don't walk with him, right? And you feel a, a broken fellowship. But it involves a daily commitment. We deny our allegiance to idols and sinful vices. It is a daily commitment and it requires us picking up our cross. And we understand that. Could be some here today that don't understand the, the picture of the cross being symbolic of, um, of Roman crucifixion and death to self. But that's what it stands for. And I've said this, if our hands are full of the cross, then they will be less inclined to be filled with the affairs of the world. And Jesus affirms it will involve you and I denying ourselves and in many instances dying to ourselves. So here are some questions as it relates to discipleship and care group. How might the Lord have you become a more committed disciple? What commitments do you need to make so that you can be more committed to your care group and discipleship? Do you attend group consistently? Would your care group and others say that you're committed to studying God's word? Do you need to give up working so many late hours to spend more time impacting your care group? Are you making ongoing sacrifices for the sake of brothers and sisters in your care group? And that's, those are heavy questions, are they not? They are. And, and, I, and they're intended to be that way. But again, it, it corresponds directly with the high cost of discipleship and the cost of our commitment to the Lord and to others. Well, the second measuring stick is transformed minds. Oh, and I'm sorry. I have these for you. Are they fill in the blank on the... Okay. Thank you, Esther, for making that happen. And I'll, I'll give you the words as, we, as we, we go along. Again, we've talked about God transferring us, then God transforming us. TNT. Transferred and transformed. And Romans 12, 2, familiar text, God gives us two powerful commands when it says, one, do not be conformed to this world, and two, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Probably between Ephesians 4, 22 and 23, and this verse here, it offers that word of transformation of the mind. It's metamorphomai. It is where we get metamorphosis and the beautiful picture of the, the cocoon, right? Um, the metamorphosis that takes place, and, and it gives birth to a beautiful butterfly. 
right? And that's the way that God works in our thinking. That by default and due to the old person, we don't believe the best about people. We don't um, think positively, typically. We don't, um, aren't encouraged. Naturally, we don't have a biblical worldview. And God does this work as he transforms our mind and helps us to see our need to have a renewal of the mind. And herein lies the great battle. The world wants you and I to conform to its image. And God has called us as disciples to conform to the image of Christ. To conform to the image of his son. Are we being conformed into a worldly image? Or into a Christ-like one? In what ways are our hearts consumed with vanity and materialism? And the things of this world. Do we spend more time working out at the gym than reading and studying God's word? What things of this world seem to tempt you most often? Is it the world of sports? Is it the the world of politics? Or academia? Are you and I cultivating a biblical worldview of success, retirement, and security? Again, the world tries to have us conform to its images and what we need, and that it's going to be collecting seashells on the beach when it comes to our retirement. You know, don't waste your life, Piper's book. Lord, look at my shells, right? That's the infamous quote from that book. That's That's not the account, right, that we want to give. And the world sees success as money and materialism. But God sees success as ministry and discipleship. That's how he gauges it. He he sees success in your personal relationships with other people. In, In my relationships with other people, that is how he gauges our ministry success. By abiding in communion in him and walking in community with others. That's that's God's program. That's how God has opted to bring glory to his name. It's how he's opted to bring glory to himself. And our jobs as disciples is to cultivate godly patterns of thinking instead of worldly patterns. And I'm going to share more about this when we get under uh, transformed habits. But before we get there, the third measuring stick is transformed character. And I've shared this in the men with our CBC LT leadership training and then also with our Care Group Leaders Summit that I believe that 1 Timothy 4.12 is one of the most powerful and dynamic discipleship verses in all of Scripture. It really is. And Paul wrote, Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. With the care group leaders, I was sharing with them that if you need a default discipleship topic, that you can turn to speech every single time. Because it is something that we do every day. Most of us um, spend a lot of time talking. On average, a woman speaks 20,000 words per day nearly three times the mere 7,000 spoken by men, 
which we shared is still a lot, but there is a, uh, a little bit of a um, social aptitude and element that you ladies possess that is, is, is much greater. And it does speak uh, to, to why the scriptures might even share as it relates to uh, referencing women more when it comes to gossiping and, and slander. So intriguing. The Lord knew this. James 3.8 says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Nobody can tame the tongue. Nobody. And the only hope that you have to even restrain it is to be born again and to have God change your heart and give you the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to have you have self-control. But even then, but even then, right? It's hard to control the tongue. Gossip, slander, and harsh tones are real struggles for many. And the word Jesus lets us know about, he says that out of the overflow, the heart speaks. And so again, speech is very good because how you've been talking and interacting with people is going to be an indication of um, whether the, the word of Christ has been richly dwelling within, whether you've been spending time with the Lord going to reveal those things so again great great uh, starting place in fact i didn't share this with the care group leaders but that's that's uh one of the great um uh challenges that i think you could offer to your care group members right out of the gate is um, over the course of this year how are we going to allow our speech to be more edifying just even within our circle right That would be powerful and dynamic. Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as a good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And a harsh word stirs up strife, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15.1, right? And what can happen is those harsh words, they serve as sparks. And then that can be a temptation for anyone to do one of two things. You can either pour water on that and put that spark out, and that's that grace that is going to extinguish what could potentially blow up. Or you can respond, what, insult for insult. You can go ahead and pour gas on that fire and see where that gets you as things blow up in your conversation with somebody. And we've all been there, haven't we? (laughs) Yes. We've all been there, foolishly. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech also always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Wow, what a beautiful picture, just um, flavorful. You know, just, um, you know, you have a, a, a good steak and you have you know that seasoning of salt it's um to me anyway that's uh makes it makes it really good and uh, what a picture that is that our speech would be um flavored right and that it would give grace well the next thing that uh, paul moves towards as he encourages timothy and his character is to be an example of conduct Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility 
and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Right? And our actions do affect people. We understand that. Our conduct does have a bearing on other people's lives. And when it's selfish, it has a terrible impact. And it's not the testimony that we want to provide to people. Right? And if you want to do your best to, so far as it depends upon you, to live at peace with all men, according to what God's called us to in, in Romans 12, then, then we realize the, the impact that um, the decisions that we make with our behavior can have. And this is a, a huge, massive um, topic to consider as it relates to character. And so I'm going to do the same thing that I did with, with our training, and that's to give you three questions to, to cover it. Isaiah just preached a great message on um, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel in Philippians. So you can, uh, of course, go back and listen to that message. And there are a number of ways that he encouraged uh, application. But I want to, I think these are really good questions. In what ways, for care group, in what ways has my conduct this week not been worthy of my gospel calling? Okay, and identify that. And then the next question is, is this behavior or conduct a pattern in my life? Good question. And then if it is, how does God want me to address it? How will I bring in discipleship so that I can grow um, th- through uh, the, the struggle that I have? Because there's going to be instances where, where we sin, and it's not a pattern, right? You know, I was in a rush. I selfishly cut somebody off on the road. Um, I don't think I have a pattern of driving that way. Maybe I need to ask my wife a little bit more, but... No, there's instances where sometimes we make a, a, a single decision. But then there are instances where there's pattern. Like, I, I really struggle with being patient with my kids, right? That, 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 patient with my kids. I, I need to work on that. I need accountability. I need growth in that specific area. Patterns, conduct. Paul then encourages Timothy to be an example by his love. 1 Peter 4.8 is a verse that comes to mind. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And it does. We have a biblical uh, responsibility when somebody sins against us. We have two options. We can go to that person if it's caused a fracture in our relationship or love can cover it. Those are the two options that we're given. If it's caused a breakdown and there's a fracture in our relationship, then it means Matthew 18, you go to them in private and you show them your fault and hopefully you'll you'll win your brother or sister and they'll repent and and you'll be unified. There's, There's steps to take if that doesn't happen. But the other option for us is that love covers a multitude of sins. That's a beautiful picture. It covers... A lot. It really does. And in family relationships, we see this all the time. We, we, we don't um, hang on to things, and we don't hang on to grudges, and we don't hang on to broken relationships because love for 
our spouse, love for our children allows things to be, to be covered. But uh, a question that I would appeal to you, and this is one that you can think about going into care group this year, who is it in your life that is the most difficult person to love? Who do you struggle to love most in your life? And the reason that I I bring that one, because God, through the transforming work and power of the gospel, can allow you to put divine love on display and love such a person and, and overcome the obstacle in that relationship. Kenny, church, Kenny? When he took rebellious sinners and, and led us to repentance and, and renewed a heart and, and renewed our hearts and allowed us to be reconciled with him, like that, that just lets you know the degree to which the gospel can reconcile the, the, the most damaged relationship. And it can. Because that was hands down the most damaged one that I know of. My sin against a holy and righteous God. And if we will start with that relationship, it will start with the most difficult one that we have. And then we see Christ show up in the gospel, and we see God work, and we see reconciliation or progress towards reconciliation take place in that relationship, because they may not be a believer, right? Some of those relationships, so I want to keep that in mind. Right, but you do the best that you can to love that person in a, in a, in a God-like, Christ-like way. Right? And if you have victory in that relationship in your most difficult one, then that tells you something. There's not a relationship that we have that cannot be overcome by the love demonstrated through the power of the gospel. Amen? Amen. That's it. It's, yeah. I'm going to share more about transformed relationships a little bit later. If it seems like I, I cut that short and my time is disappearing. So we're going to pick this up. It is on faith. Faith is how we trust in the Lord. This is what Paul encourages Timothy, that his character would, would be filled with faith. That he would be a man of great faith. And we, we talked about this in our training, that there are some people who are weak in their faith. There are some people who are faint-hearted. In some instances, they're rebellious, and so they're not putting faith into practice. And that's why 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it calls us that we would be urged as believers to admonish the unruly, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, and to be patient with everyone. And again, that is an opportunity for faith to be grown. Trust Trusting God, and it builds the growth and trust in relationships. Pistuo in the, in, in the Greek. It's, it's faith. It's clinging on to, to faith. One of the next character uh, trait that Paul speaks to Timothy about is purity. Paul had a mind that was absolutely consumed with purity. And this even stemmed into his B.C. days before Christ because he was, he was zealous. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? He, he, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. 
right? And they, they took on purity to, to a whole new level. But even after coming to faith in Christ and having a heart that was truly born again, we see Paul be consumed and be a blessing to the church as, as his heart just reflected his zeal for purity as he wrote very difficult letters to, to the Corinthian church and called them out on their immorality and called them out on their factions, called them out on all the, the sin that they were practicing, even so much so that they were tempted to get drunk while taking communion. It was something that had to be addressed. But there was something specific that he did as it related to their purity, and he called them out on their sexual purity. And we see an example of that in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. And he called them, and this is the word, he said, flee, flee sexual immorality. And it was an exhortation that was loud and clear. Flee anything that is related to sexual impurity. Flee, flee, run. And this was, in the, the, this was in the Corinthian church. And so you'd say, well, there was, um, in, in Corinth, it was kind of like the Las Vegas times 10 of the day. And there was prostitution, and there were all these things that were taking place. So certainly that was probably the reason why it was addressed there. And as I shared on Friday, no, he also wrote the same exhortation to the model church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, that chart, your progress, your growth in Christ's likeness, and you becoming more and more like your Savior. And that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, your own body, in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And sexual immorality exists in every culture. There's no l- limits, right? And we live out here in Southern California and Western America, and really as, as the testimony of America is put on display through um, what gets div- you know, put out through movies and things that make it overseas, they see... They see our, our low regard for sexual morality. They do. They see just how immoral it is and how low the standard is. And that's just fallen people being fallen, right? Right? A reminder. But not for the believer. Now, God gives us a new heart and a new desire to hate sin. Again, Romans 12. It's, one, it's our life chapter. Uh, one that we've designated as a life chapter, Romans 12, to abhor, let your love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Right? And the battle is real, right? But care groups, care groups, right? That God would give you other brothers and sisters Then, if there's an arena or an area that you're struggling with, whether anything, anything from uh, same-sex attraction to to adultery or fornication, whatever it might be that you might be tempted, there are brothers and sisters that will will walk with you. And we need each other. We desperately need each other. That's the will of God. 
Paul specifically discipled Timothy to be an example of, of purity. Well, the fourth measuring stick is transformed relationships. And Jesus in John 13, 34, and 35 Transform relationships, there it is for you to fill in. Jesus, in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also would love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And we've looked at the Shema in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6, and it's called us to love the Lord your God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, Right? And you'd say, well, then how is this a new commandment, Jesus? And we drew our attention when we were going through our, uh, through our training. He qualifies it, and he says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. He's set the bar on the love. He's the one who's come in servanthood and sacrifice. He's the one that's modeled how it is that, that, that we can love and serve others. And again, not perfectly, but it's, it's what we're working towards. It's the joy, one of the greatest joys that we're going to have in heaven when we get there. Everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I pray that's your soul. And if you showed up today and you got dragged or invited and you had no idea that you were going to um, end up in church this morning, I pray by God's grace and through the work of his spirit that he would help you cry out to him in forgiveness. Today would be the day of your salvation. But when we get to heaven, one of the greatest joys that we're going to have is to be consumed with the very presence of God. We all get that. But right behind that is the other foot, and that's going to be that community foot, that we are going to have the opportunity to serve each other forever. Ever. All of us serving each other. Wow. Incredible. And the beauty of it is that we get to start now. We get to start now. And that takes form in, in, in care groups. Transformed relationships. The gospel changes our hearts and leads us to repentance, confession of sin, forgiveness, and reconciliation with God. The gospel changes our marriages. The gospel changes our family relationships. It changes, uh, it changes everything, our personal relationships. No relationship is beyond its reach because God has changed our hearts to love, forgive, and confess our sin. Well, the fifth and final measuring stick is transformed habits. 1 Timothy 4.7 Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And there's a, a really great book written by Donald Whitney called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And it has insights into cultivating strong habits. And it, it comes, there's actually a workbook, too, that it comes with, too. So care group leaders and care group members, it's a, it's a great resource to, to cling a hold of. And discipline and Discipleship, or disciples, share the same English root, and I don't think that's a coincidence. It takes discipline to be a disciple of Christ. Disciplines that he mentions are Bible intake, a consistent prayer, serving others sacrificially, evangelizing a lost world, worship, journaling. And these are just a few of the disciplines that he believes will cultivate healthy habits for the Christian life, and he's right. The problem is, is that we have bad habits. That's the great challenge, that we can have bad habits. And there's a difference between being stuck in a rut versus stuck in a groove. And I, wanna, I didn't share this on Friday night, but I want to share this with you. 
These metaphoric images are similar but not identical. Stuck in a rut refers to a wagon wheel getting stuck in in a, a rut or a deep channel created by earlier wagons passing over soft ground. And it's a reference to something being bogged down and unable to move. And you can't make progress because you're stuck in a rut. And this world offers a number of worldly paths and ruts to get stuck in. Stuck in a groove refers to the needle or the stylus on a record player. There's a blast from the past. Record players, okay? And those who are old enough to remember that technology, you'll recall that there were these vinyl discs. They're usually black, and you put them on the record player, and then there was the needle, and you set it down, and that stylus would actually find grooves that are on the, the, the record, and it would go around, and as it went around, what would happen? Well, what happens? It makes music, and it's beautiful. It makes music sound, right? It gets amplified, and you get stuck in a groove, and your groove is what allows you to move, if you know what I'm saying, all right? And what a picture for us to remember as it relates to disciplines of the Christian life and, and the groove that God has for us. The grooves of relationship. The, the, the grooves of, of growing in his word. The grooves of being devoted to him in prayer. The grooves. And, and, and I'm telling you, if you, get just, if you just entertain me for a moment, I can entertain you for a moment, you get in the groove. All right? Life, life is a blessing. It's sweet. There's music that's made and cultivated, right? And if he gets stuck in a rut, it stops, right? You're you're not making any progress. Wow. The groove, right? And the grooves, they help us move. They help us make progress. And so we need to find out how we can cultivate those. And I've gone over already, and worship team, we're going to go ahead and um, we're not going to have our re- re- response song. And I, I do want to close up um, um, and just give you the fill in the blanks for the other ones. And the scriptures will be straightforward. And I ran out of time on Friday too, and I didn't do anything to help myself not run out of time today. So there's, there's no reason for that. But... Um, other than poor planning by your pastor. All right, if you can just look at point number two, care groups are a provision of God's safety, protection through direction. Okay? Oh, oh, you're already on it. Man, Nate, you are on it. Proverbs 11.14 says that without, pe- without guidance, people will fall. And Ben used a great illustration of a sheep that went wandering on its own off a cliff just wandered off on its own. And we wander, right? We, we, can, we can wander in our walks with the Lord, and we can wander off if we're not careful, right? We, even a, a picture of those abandoning the faith that they've wandered off in pursuit of other things. And so we need that protection. And it says, without guidance, people are going to fall. You will go off the cliff. Ben also shared in the illustration, it was a story that was in USA Today that he said that was printed, that after that one uh, sheep wandered off the cliff, that it was 1,000, I can't even remember the number, there was 1,000 other sheep that followed it right off the cliff. And it turned into 
Ben, it turned into a pillowy cloud of death. Right? Ben? Ben? I don't know where Ben. Probably serving. Oh, he's hiding back there. A pillowy cloud of death. We need each other for protection. We do not see our blind spots. We need to have other people that when we're walking towards a cliff, when, when we're pursuing a, a dating relationship with an unbeliever, when we're um, pursuing um, the things of this world that could potentially be catastrophic, that we're going to move to the middle of nowhere because it's cheaper to live in Texas and there's not going to be a ministry for our souls to be spiritually fed. We need counsel in our lives that's going to speak and keep us from going off the cliffs. We also need accountability. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We're going to get together as brothers and sisters and have an opportunity to confess our sins and our struggles. And we're going to have the accountability that we need and ask for the help. That's, that's what our, our groups are designed for. And I'll leave you with this picture. And, of course, there's the responsibility of care group leaders. And we'll have Francis cover that at the beginning of second hour during our Q&A because he's perfectly capable of that. Um, I already gave him my notes on that just in case you're curious. But um, he, he'll handle that for us. But um, this is the picture. Did anyone use a growth chart? In your home when you were a kid, when you would get measured and you would go over and you'd mark it off? Powerful. As parents, you know, it's, 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 it's amazing to see our kids grow and uh, take them over to the chart and, and to mark them off. And care group takes place in seasons of growth. It doesn't happen all at once. We don't, our positional sanctification, we're, we're we're renewed in the right righteousness of Christ, our progressive sanctification. It's, it's growing, right? We, we're growing to get there. And what a beautiful thing it is for parents that have grown children. When you can think about those stages in their life and the milestones that they passed, and they are completely grown. And they've grown to the full stature of a mature person. And that is the picture of discipleship. And God wants us to keep in mind as we're growing spiritually in our relationships. That there are milestones, right? Just as it is with us in our walks, just as it is with being physically born. That when we're reborn in God, when we're born again, that growth takes time. It takes time. Thank you for the few extra minutes to go over. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to immediately break into fellowship, okay? And then uh, we'll come back for the Q&A, which you will not want to miss. Let's, let's pray. Father, we bow our heads thanking you for the grace of just even looking at uh, a transformed life and measuring sticks for progress. We do pray, Father, that as it relates to our growth and as it relates to our personal walks with, with Christ, that we would continue to grow and that we would continue to answer uh, the call of our transformed commitment to to you and, and to grow, and that you would use it in great measure. We ask, Father, that our care groups would be a tremendous blessing, and that you would allow us to link arms with a couple brothers and sisters. Even the Lord Jesus Christ only discipled 12, and he had 
three that were in an inner circle with Peter, James, and John, that we could be part of a small group and that we could invest in each other's lives with great purpose and intentionality like we've never done before and continue to build on all that we've done in the past. And Lord, we look forward to seeing how you would answer this prayer for our church family. We thank you that we're a growing church and that you've blessed us. We thank you for blessing us with care group leaders who care for us and then want to invest in our lives. And we pray that as members, you would allow us to be responsive to their shepherding voice, their teaching voice, their leading voice in our lives. We look forward to seeing how you bless our church. We ask now that you would bless our time of fellowship as we enjoy one another. We give you praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.